Uh, good morning, everybody. want to welcome those of you just joining us now from our Farmington Hills campus. Good morning to all of you in Farmington Hills and all of you watching online. We have been working our way through the New Testament book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts chronicles the birth and expansion of the church. The church started in the city of Jerusalem among the Jews, but eventually went global. And for the church to expand, it had to address its own cultural prejudices Uh, some of which have been in place in their culture for thousands of years. Would the gospel of Jesus stay in one city, Jerusalem, among one ethnicity, or would it reach people who were very different, people who looked differently and thought differently, even people who violated some of the Jewish cultural norms? Uh, Today's story is about two men, each given a vision from God. One man is Peter, a Jew, the other Cornelius, a Gentile, and God brings them together so that both men might grow in their understanding of God and of God's heart. Both men were religiously devout. Uh, Both men needed to be stretched. In spiritual life, there's often a need to stretch, and God's going to stretch these guys in ways that are uh, pretty fun. Chapter 10 is the first time we read about this guy named Cornelius. And if all we knew about Cornelius was what we read in these two verses, it would be enough to respect him. He was a centurion. He was in charge of a company of soldiers. He was in charge of a a unique Italian cohort that was distinguished for their bravery. The fact that he and his family are in Caesarea means that he was either highly respected or maybe he was in the city to receive some kind of award from Caesar. Cornelius was devout and God-fearing and generous. He was a person of prayer and the Jews respected him even though he in fact was not a Jew. The second man is Peter. Now we know more about him. He dominates the book of Acts and like all the first converts to Uh, Jesus, uh, he is Jewish. He's one of the first 12 apostles, and now he's a leader in the movement, and Peter's journeys have taken him today to the city of Joppa on the coast, and he finds himself a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, a Gentile, a non-Jew, who had given his life now to Jesus. In those days, an Orthodox Jew was not allowed to be near anyone or to touch anyone who had contact with dead animals. And so Simon, a tanner, and, and uh, all other folks who worked with animals, they were required to live 10 cubits outside of a Jewish city. And now Peter finds himself uh, as a Jew in the home of a Gentile who works daily with dead animals. Peter is outside of his comfort zone, and it's going to get a whole lot worse. In Judaism of his day, there were pretty clear guidelines about what was considered clean and unclean, and who was considered desirable or undesirable. They believed that God had banned from the temple certain kinds of people, sinners, menstruating women, physically deformed people, and lots of other categories of people. Now, Peter had watched Jesus embrace the people that his culture had excluded. In fact, Jesus seemed very intentional about this. The Bible records warm interactions of Jesus with 
uh, sinners and with Gentiles and with tax collectors, with lepers, and not just with women, but with prostitutes. And there's even one account of Jesus' interactions with a menstruating woman. It's like Jesus almost wanted to make sure he got through the whole list of undesirables of his day. Instead of the message, no undesirables allowed, Jesus said, in the kingdom of God, there are no undesirables. As you may remember, Jesus raised a lot of eyebrows uh, for the fact that he embraced a lot of the people that his culture, his religious culture, had sought to exclude. Now, Peter knew all of this. He had seen Jesus do this, but still he had a lifetime of religious exclusivism built up in him that he couldn't fully shake. He believes in Jesus' inclusive embrace. He believes that Jesus had broken down the dividing walls of hostility. And yet within him, there is this prejudice that has existed since childhood. And now he finds himself the guest of a believing Gentile. God is doing something really new here. And no doubt Peter's thinking about this as he goes up on the roof in the very long story that you heard read just moments ago. He's praying and uh, he goes up to the roof and he becomes hungry and, uh, and he's waiting for the meal to be prepared downstairs. Uh, but he's thinking about food and he goes into a trance. Like, uh, like uh, maybe sometimes you're sitting in church and you know you're supposed to be listening to the sermon, but you're hungry and all you can think about is lunch and you go into this trance. Anybody feeling that right now? And Peter's given this vision up on the roof. He sees what it says is like a, a, a large sheet comes down from the sky. I think it's more like a tablecloth. And it opens up, and on this cloth are all these USDA-approved animals. It is, a, it is a buffet of all kinds of food, meat food. Now, not all of you are tempted by that. Uh, I myself have a plant-based diet. I, I only eat animals who are plant-based. And it's all appears before them, and, and, and this is what the text you heard read earlier. A voice told Peter, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, Peter's got a problem. It all looks delicious, but most of these animals are forbidden by Jewish laws found in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And so Peter kind of fires back. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now, this is kind of gutsy because it sounds like Peter is correcting God on God's ignorance about God's own dietary laws. And so the voice comes back to Peter. The voice spoke to Peter a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happens three times in this vision. And if you know anything about the Apostle Peter, you know it often took him three times to get something right. The risen Jesus appeared to Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? And feed my sheep. Three times it took to get something into Peter's head. And we see that here too. The story goes on. You heard it read in Acts chapter 10. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision... The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. God, God gave Peter this vision, but the vision alone isn't enough. Peter needs an experience. 
We are formed by our thoughts, but not only our thoughts, we are formed by experience. This vision, this lesson of God is going to be confirmed in a relationship. Now, this is important to know how God often reveals a lesson to us. There's the lesson, and then there's the opportunity to put it into practice or to test it. We should be on the lookout for this. This happens almost all the time. God gives a lesson and then God will bring either a, a person who needs the lesson we've just learned or maybe it's a problem that can be solved by the lesson we've just learned or maybe it's a situation that will test and challenge our new conviction. But whatever God is speaking to you about right now in your life, be on the lookout for an opportunity to put it into practice. God will arrange that for you. The lesson here for Peter was this. God is all loving, and God loves all people. That is the lesson that Peter needed in this moment. It might not be the lesson that you need today, but Peter needed to hear this. God is all loving, and he loves all people. That's a great message, right? Right? Yeah, it's a great message unless you're part of a group that wants to believe that God loves your group a little more than he loves everybody else. That was Peter's dilemma, and it often is ours as well. Peter arrives at Cornelius' house. Cornelius has, has called together all of his family and friends. Um, they're gathered together in the living room. Maybe there's a veggie tray in the center. We don't know. <laughs> and the story you heard read went on. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people at Cornelius' house. He said to them, you are all well aware that it is against our law for a Jew like me to associate with or visit Gentiles like you. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came for without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Peter is way, way outside his comfort zone. In fact, he has parked his comfort zone down the street and he's not sure he's going to be able to find it later. He basically says to the people gathered in the house, I am not comfortable here. I'm not comfortable around you. I don't have much experience with people like you. In fact, my law says it's illegal for me to be here. I am here only out of obedience to God, but it does not mean that I am comfortable. Why have you sent for me? And then Cornelius tells Peter about the own, his own vision that God had given him. And then you heard read again the story. Cornelius says, so I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you, Peter, to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. This is a captive audience. And so Peter tells everybody in the house about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And on that day, Cornelius, his family, and everybody in the house is baptized into Jesus Christ. This is a story about conversion. But primarily, it is not a story about the conversion of Cornelius. This is a story about the conversion of Peter in his heart. God could have gotten to Cornelius another way. God could have sent them another vision. God could have sent them an angel to say to this uh, a, a, Italian captain, he could have said, look, it's all about Jesus. Capiche? And Cornelius would have said, capiche? This is about Peter who needed to be 
converted. Peter is a leader in the movement. And if this movement is going to go outside of Jerusalem and outside of one ethnicity, Peter's own heart has to be changed. And it was. Again, the story goes on. Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Peter pushes through his own cultural prejudices and recognizes that God is up to something new. Now, this might be very similar to what Pastor Chuck Smith went through in California in the 1970s. It was the height of the Jesus movement, and all of these teenagers and college students, these hippies, were giving their lives to Jesus, but they did not look like the typical churchgoer in America in the 1970s. And people were not sure what to make of this. And Pastor Chuck Smith was a middle-aged pastor at the time, and eventually his own heart was changed, and he embraced and welcomed these hippies into his church. Now, there's a movie coming out next month that tells all about the true story of the 1970s um, Jesus revolution. Anybody here remember the 70s? Anybody? Oh, yeah. The, the, the revolution. Pastor Chuck Smith, a real guy, is played by the actor Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, um, Frazier, that guy. And then uh, the, the hippie street preacher, Lonnie Frisbee, that's his real name, he's played by the actor that played Jesus in the Chosen series. It's a fascinating story about Christians who had to step outside their comfort zone to accept a new group of people. And uh, I want to show you the trailer to this movie that comes out February 24. Take a look. Hey, Square. I am not a square. I think we should invite Greg this weekend. What's this weekend? The mountain is high. How are you doing, Southern California? These people are hippies, rebels against old-fashioned authority. I think these kids need help. They need is a bath. You're passing judgment on people you know nothing about. Maybe that's why your church is so empty. When God walks in here, brings me a hippie. I'll ask him what it's all about, because I do not understand. His house has a very good vibe. There is an entire generation searching. Slow down, man, slow down. Just in all the wrong places. If you want to reach my people, you need to speak to them in a language they understand. If I bring them in, I'm going to lose my job. We can only walk through doors open to us. In your church, that's a door that's shut. Probably noticed we have some guests here today. I'd like you to meet my new friends. Welcome. They don't belong here. Half of them aren't even wearing shoes. They're staining the new shag carpet. They need our help. If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. That was awesome. Now that door is open any time of day. And if there are some who don't like that, well then that door works both ways. All right, Pastor, let's begin. I was almost done with this, but then you did what nobody else would even dare. This thing that we found, I feel like I belong. You're gonna need a bigger church. country is a dark and divided place, but now there's hope and it's spreading. This is your home and I want you to tell all your friends about it. 
going to see that movie. <laughs> February 24th, um, 1970s Jesus Revolution. I saw another uh, documentary it was, uh, many, uh, a year ago. It was about Christian music and about the Jesus Revolution of the 70s. And the documentary said the turning point of the whole movement was an event um, in Dallas, Texas called Expo 72. Uh, 80,000 high school students, uh, college students, descended upon the Cotton Bowl Stadium in Dallas for, what, for what's often referred to today as the, uh, the Christian Woodstock. And a lot of Christian leaders in the 1970s condemned uh, rock and roll. But, uh, but, uh, but Billy Graham spoke at Expo 72. And he stood up and he said, God is doing a new thing. And Billy Graham gave credence. He gave credibility to this whole movement. And I saw the documentary. And the next morning, I was telling one of our elders about this, David Wood in our church, who just had a, he had an 80th birthday not long before that. And I was telling him about what I learned about the Jesus movement and about Expo 72. And he said, I was there. He said, I was a youth leader in Southern California, and I got in a Greyhound bus, and I went to Dallas, Texas, and I heard Billy Graham say those words, and then he told me about the Jesus Revolution of the 1970s. And I just thought you should know that one of the most respected elders in our church is a Jesus freak. <laughs> yeah, and, and he... He wears, a, he wears a coat and tie every Sunday to church, but inside, he's all tie-dye, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now Pastor Chuck Smith, Pastor Billy Graham, they took a lot of criticism uh, for embracing a group that was very different, and so did the Apostle Paul for embracing and receiving the Gentiles. Uh, you heard read the entirety of chapter 10 in the book of Acts, but peek ahead to chapter 11. This is the pushback that Peter got. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had uh, also had received the word of God. That sounds good, doesn't it? So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. They criticized him. Um, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. He told them the story. And then, uh, and as I began to speak, Peter said, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you were baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? And to their credit, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Even the Gentiles, for crying out loud, are coming to Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit. This is clearly larger than any of us had any idea Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul uses this phrase, this, this beautifully sobering phrase, the dividing wall of hostility. And then he names three areas in first century culture that Jesus has broken down this divide. The first divide is Jew and Gentile. And again, that is so deep. That's what we're talking about today. And that clouds all of the New Testament. We don't have the exact equivalent for that today, but today maybe it's religious and non-religious, or church culture and non-church culture. 
Second category, he said, was slave and free. In the first century, people were joining the church who were slaves. You had slaves and free people, members of the same church, and it caused some division. Now, again, we do not have that today, but today maybe the American church has blue collar and white collar. Maybe it's rich and poor. And the third category he names, first century, men and women. Men and women in the first century had a very steep divide. Now, again, we don't have the same thing uh, today exactly, but today it might be compared to the divide between men and women because we, st- we still have that today. I remember the first time that I spoke at an all fe- to an all-female audience. I was terrified. It was a women's conference but I was one of the speakers, I do not know why. And I usually don't get nervous talking to groups, and I had spoken to larger groups than I did that day, but an all-woman audience petrified me. I had flashbacks to junior high school where I first learned to fear the female species. And my mind could only emphasize uh, the differences. I became insecure. What do women find funny? I, d- I don't know. What do they care about? I don't know. I'm, I'm not a, a, a woman. Women, women are wholly other and unknowable and mysterious. And, and I psyched myself out. Now, in the end, I just told a lot of jokes about men, and it all went great. <laughs> When I'm around people who are different than me, I get nervous sometimes. And when I get nervous, I am prone to emphasize the differences rather than the sameness. But I find that when I get outside my comfort zone more often, my comfort zone expands. My comfort zone gets bigger. We can do this with age and generations. The life expectancy in the book of Acts, 45 years old. The early church did not have the the generational diversity that the modern church does. Now, when when you're in a group that's multi-ethnic, you might assume that people from different ethnic backgrounds think differently. But the truth is, even those of us born and raised in the United States of America, we were raised in different countries. We were raised in different Americas depending on when we were born. We have different cultural norms and expectations. Each generation is unique. When I was a very new pastor here many years ago, I was at an event, our preschool kids, our weekday preschool, they were singing their songs for all the moms and dads and grandparents, and I was in the back of the room, and a lady came to me and said, "Um, Pastor, there's a young man in there uh, sitting down who's wearing a hat in the house of the Lord. I think you should go ask him to remove his hat. And I said, uh, well, you know, this, it's not a worship service, it's a preschool pageant, and it's not Sunday morning, it's Tuesday morning, and we're not in the sanctuary, we're in the chapel. And she said, she said, if you won't talk to him, I will. And I didn't know what to say, and she started to walk away. I didn't know what to do, so I tackled her. No, I didn't tackle her. I did put my arm on her elbow and I said to her, he's my guest, right? He's, he's my guest. And if I had time for a longer conversation, I would have said to her, that guy's not from the same place you and I are from. He's from 21st century America. 
You and I are from 20th century America. There's different cultural norms. He's not from the same place that you and I are from. When I uh, interact with someone who's 15 years older than me or with someone 15 years younger than me, I realize I am in a cross-cultural conversation. There are different cultural norms and expectations, yet we still have more that unites us than we do that divides us. This verse from the Apostle Paul has been very helpful for me. This is the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. He said, from now on, we regard no one from a what? Worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. We no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. What's a worldly point of view? It's a point of view that judges people based on what they have and what they look like. And people judge, judge Jesus by that. <coughs> I'm not getting choked up, I'm just choking. <coughs> people judge Jesus in that way and it led them to wrong conclusions. Judging people based on externals has not served the church well and does not model the heart of God. A church that embraces people is a powerful testimony to a watching world. When a church pushes past cultural barriers, past traditions, and reaches people on the other side of those barriers, it demonstrates to the world that God is alive and active. The book of Acts started in our series many weeks ago. We looked at this from Acts chapter 1. Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And a lot of you know this is the outline of the book of Acts. The gospel started in Jerusalem, one city, one ethnicity, and then it went to Judea, that's the surrounding area, Samaria, very close by. Samaria was similar culturally to the Jews in some ways and different culturally in other ways, and then ultimately went to every tribe, every tongue, every culture. And now we are a part of that. We get to be a part of the church. I pray that we will be a church of embrace. Let us put aside our tendencies to exclude, and let's embrace people for their sake and for ours. Will you join me in prayer? I hear those tears. <laughs> Father in heaven, uh, help us to do in our day what the people in the book of Acts did in theirs. To move past our cultural blinders and embrace people who are different than us. Thank you that the gospel did not stop in Jerusalem, but by your power and by the faithfulness of your people spread around the world. We stand here today as a testimony to an early church that would not be bound to anyone's comfort zone, but burst forth in ways that remind us that your gospel is bigger than any one of us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Father, help us to love the world that means so much to you. This we pray in Jesus' name. And the church agreed and said, Amen.